Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. You are listening in on one of our Transforming Leadership series. Today's guest is Dr. Tim Clinton, who is the president of the American Association of Christian Counselors, which is the largest and most diverse Christian counseling association in the world. Dr. Clinton also serves as the executive director of the James Dobson Family Institute and is a reoccurring co-host of Dr. James Dobson Family Talk. He is recognized as a world leader in mental health and relationship issues and spends much of his time working with Christian leaders and professional athletes. He has authored or edited nearly 30 books and is the founder of Light University. You can read more about these amazing accomplishments and his bio at timclinton.com. One of those amazing accomplishments is that he's been married for 39 years to his wife, Julie, and together they have two children. When this episode ends, I want you to visit a awordinseasonpodcast.org. There you're going to find many resources that are available to you. Maybe you'll have two minutes that you can fill out our survey and be entered for a chance to win a free gift. You'll also learn about Somebody Cares America and Somebody Cares International and how they are responding to recent natural disasters and global crisis. Now let's welcome our host, Doug Stringer. It's been a pleasure to, to follow you, to interface with you, and I really believe today is going to be a, a great opportunity for all of us to glean from your years of experience and wisdom, and uh, not just because you've written books or have Light University or American Association of Christian Counselors, but because you've applied it in very practical ways for all of us to be able to process, because all of us have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. We've all experienced areas of our lives where we have been met with unexpected detours. And so we're going to cover a few of those things today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey with the Lord, and how you got involved in Christian counseling. Well, Doug, um, again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, a delight to be with each and every one of you uh, here on this call. How the world has changed, hasn't it? Uh, it's just amazing. Since 2020, what an upside down world we're in. I actually, uh, as a boy, grew up in central Pennsylvania. My dad was a rural country pastor, kind of a circuit riding pastor. He had three small churches and he was probably the kindest man I've ever met in my whole life. My dad loved his kids. He had a deep affection for the Lord. You know, the day that my dad died was one of the most difficult days of my life. I lost a man who not only loved on me, he, he prayed for me every day and he taught me what it really meant to anchor yourself in the Lord. And so through the years, it was interesting growing up as a boy. I had a younger sister who, by the way, was here this past weekend. Uh, all seven other of my siblings, we were all together for my son's wedding. So we had a great weekend. I'm exhausted, you all. I'm just happy to be here. Forgive me if I'm stumbling all over the place. But we had such a great time together. And as we came together, uh, it was a real wonderful time just to remind ourselves of how important it is to be anchored. What a godly heritage we had and were given as a family. And we saw a lot of that uh, in the wedding with my son, Zach. As we got together, how beautiful it is to have those that you can press into who can help anchor you along the way. Regardless of our roles and responsibilities and maybe the things we get to do, at the end of the day, we're all sons and daughters. We're all men and women. We all have needs and challenges in our own life. And so when you're anchored, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a real game changer. But for us, that was it. Uh, you asked about how I got involved in counseling. I remember as a junior in high school, our teacher, I went to a public school. Her name was Langley. In the English class, she had us one day stand up to share what we thought 
we were going to do with the rest of our lives. And I remember coming over to me and I struggled in my heart and I thought, what am I going to say in front of all my friends and everybody? And I just in that moment stood up and I said, I really believe that God's called me into ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but I want to be like my dad. From that moment, God began to just churn in my heart. As I graduated out of high school, I went to work for a company in Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania, house leather company. I remember wandering every night. I worked swing shift and God was working in my heart and my life. I'd have a lot of time alone and I began to wrestle with, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here I am. I'm loading coal up into a big hopper on a furnace and I'm making good money, but this is not who I am. And I just feel like you, you want me to do something else. And I remember one night we had to control the steam on the furnace. If, you, if it got too hot and the steam built up too loud, it would blow the top off it and whistle really loud. You'd wake up the whole town. In the middle of the night, that thing went off. And I was running through that place. I had no idea. I think I was half asleep. But God used as a wake-up call in my life. After I got everything under control, Paul Curry came through that next morning before I got off my shift. And we were talking. And I said, Mr. Paul, he was a superintendent at the time. I really believe that God has called me to something else. I think I'm going to go to college. I want to study to be a pastor. He looked at me and said, Tim. I'd love to keep you here, but son, listen, when God calls you to do something, go do it. And I resigned within a, within a couple of weeks and said, hey, I'm going to go to Liberty University. I want to study pastoral ministry. I don't know what I'm going to minor in. I eventually minored in Greek, and then I double minored my junior and senior year in counseling. And that began a journey for me into this world. That was, I won't say how long ago, but many years ago. And so you've stayed in your lane and you've expanded that. What gave you the vision to create now what is the largest Christian counseling association in the world? Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to Liberty when in the mid 80s, they developed the vision of developing online or distance education. And back in those days, it was about putting together VHS tapes and putting people on tape and sending it to you so you could study at home. And the idea was, if you were 25 years of age or older and you didn't have an opportunity to go to school, maybe this would be a unique way where you could learn, go to college, go to class. That vision began to kind of work its way into my heart and mind. I wound up finishing my undergrad degree. I finished a master's degree in counseling and I began teaching when I was in my mid 20s at Liberty in counseling and psychology. And I got accepted to the College of William and Mary for my doctoral program. Long story, God's story, amazing. And I began my doctoral studies and God just kept working in my heart, working in my heart. And I was involved in developing the master's degree in counseling online and the undergrad degree in psychology. Through that, began to develop a vision of let's go out and recruit the best faculty in the world. Let's see if we can get lectures from guys like Dr. Gary Collins. I made a phone call to a guy named Dr. James Dobson. Would you come teach for us? He said, Tim, he took my call. I'm interested, but I don't have much time. Well, we wound up putting together unique faculty. It was a best of breed faculty and God began to grow something. I had a conversation with a guy named Dr. Larry Crabb who passed away this year. Larry was at Grace at the time and Larry said, Tim, I don't know about the Christian counseling movement, where we're going, what the future really looks like. I said, well, I know this. At Liberty, there's students enrolling like crazy in this distance learning program. It's amazing to me. We're going from zero to thousands of students already. Something's going on. 
And that was kind of the genesis of a lot of what started taking place that gave birth to a relationship with Dr. Gary Collins in the development of the AACC, the American Association of Christian Counselors. That's helped gave birth to uh, a program we developed called Caring for People God's Way, a certificate program in biblical counseling in the late 1990s. We gave birth to that, trained more than 200,000 people in that Caring for People God's Way program. Just wanted to go out, get best of breed faculty, put them on video, uniquely develop the curriculum and see what God wanted to do with it. And it's been an amazing journey. We had talked a little bit before we started the Zoom call that you mentioned it. So I'm going to bring it up that for those that don't know what a VHS is, uh, <laughs> that goes back a ways. And so I still have all the series on VHS and uh, have all the series on DVDs. And now, of course, everything's digital. So it has been very innovative in the sense that even seeing back then, a lot of people could not leave their place of business or calling, but they wanted to get the training and education. And so I think the videos or doing it through a video type curriculum was very innovative. And I think many schools that are not Christian have jumped into that and realizing what you guys started is very innovative back in those days in the 80s and 90s that they're doing today, even for international education. Pretty amazing to see the, the development of distance education into online education and how schools are going there. It's kind of like the transition is like bringing Walmart or Target to town, really. You begin to realize that a whole new model has come. And while there were challenges on comparability of learning and are we demonstrating the same outcomes through the educational experience? All that stuff has been dealt with. And, you know, it brought, I think, the world to a whole different place. Through the years, have really begun to see education as a platform. I see it as a platform for evangelism, really, around the world. If you can train leaders around the world globally, you've got indigenous workers, man, who can really caruso the gospel, if you will in and through their unique calling, their unique vocation. Well, I know even for me, I'm between hurricanes and things happening in the Middle East, and we're stretched with what we do in prayer and compassion evangelism and all of our relationships, as well as you are. And so for me, I mean, I was really wanting to take a few more classes. So I actually, just to keep up with my own personal growth, I took 12 classes. I couldn't have flown to Virginia, or I couldn't have left for any period of time, but I took those 12 one-hour classes all online, and I was able to do that because of the innovative ways that now we're doing training in school and education. But also, as you said, you were used the word evangelism. And that's what I found was very unique about AACC and Light University. You know, when people think of counseling, or psychology, they all of a sudden have all these different thoughts going on in their minds about what that means. And what I've appreciated about what you've done, you've kept Christ at the centrality of the cross and Christ at the center of your education and have not compromised that. How have you been able to do that in a world that is uh, is pulling in so many different directions to get us away from Jesus and the fact that it is the centrality of the cross? You know, it's interesting. Historically, I think the church has wrestled with counseling and psychology. They in some respects, saw it as a secular priesthood. People were uh, going down the street to the local psychologist looking for answers to the brokenness in their life, and often the church would not address those issues. And so it became a little bit of a tension there, but through the years, I think we've begun to really embrace that spirituality and has really become the fourth force in mental health care. People are wildly embracing spirituality now, albeit very broadly. But nevertheless, it's opened the door up for us to really anchor our faith. At the end of the day, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you are able to press in and you realize that God is who he says he is and that he's there and that he makes all the difference in the world, that's what really begins to anchor where we're at now in this Christian counseling movement. People want to understand 
who God is and how he matters in everyday life. They want to talk about clinical issues like understanding trauma. They want to talk about what it's like to have grown up in an abusive situation. They want to know what clinical issues are like depression and anxiety and more. And how do we effectively move people through those issues? Because people at the end of the day, they know that there really ultimately isn't any real hope apart from their relationship with God in Christ. We joyfully and unashamedly stand strong in our Christian faith. Well, you brought up a great point, and let's transition here, because I would probably, not even based on statistics as far as personal knowledge on everyone here, I would say a large percentage of us as a whole are suffering from what we've been talking about, corporate trauma. As you know, many times our organizations have worked all over the world for the last 40 years from crisis, from high school shootings to theater shootings to major disasters. I have found that even though those who are directly affected or victimized or affected by a crisis, be it a tornado or hurricane, a tsunami, or the victims of crisis in crime, there are others in a community when it is plastered on the media, when we are all going through the same thing, there is an element of the corporate trauma that comes from that. And especially in the last nearly two years with the pandemic and with global challenges and the civil unrest in our own country, I think a lot of people are stuffing things, but there is an element of trauma and grief that is existing that at some point there's a sense of compensatory facade where there is a cover up on the outside, a facade but there's a whole lot of things being stuffed on the inside. And that ultimately will result in some sort of outburst or other results. So how do we deal with this corporate trauma that we're all under right now, the stress that we're all under? Since the pandemic hit with the lockdowns and the loss and so much more, add to it the racial tension and trauma, and then the rioting that came after that, the election disaster that was taking place, come into the new year and you've got this COVID piece where we were believing now we're going to come out of this. And it's like the gift that keeps on giving the COVID piece. Here comes the Delta variant and people are struggling all over again with the lockdowns. Look at what's happening around the globe with terrorism, Afghanistan and everything else. And you've got people who are emotionally shot. They're exhausted. I don't know how you all feel, but they're like done. I was interviewing Shanae Anderson recently, a trauma psychologist on my television program. And Shanae said, Tim, I, it's, it's kind of like when you get pounded and you go through traumatic experiences, it's like you lose your voice. And what's happening is there's a stirring going on where people are dealing also on top of all this with censorship and suppression and all kinds of things. And Christianity is in a turmoil. And it seems like we're fighting for religious liberties and everything else. And it's, wait, 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 what's happening in our world? And when you don't have any hooks to grab a hold of, you feel like you're sliding all over the place. That's the insanity piece that's driving people really wild. What do you do in the midst of it? You got to get yourself rooted. You have to. We've learned through the years. This is what I've learned personally. And I think I've seen it. The antidote to trauma when you don't feel safe, when your world's going off around you. Through the years, we've learned that people have normal pieces of everyday stress in their everyday life. There are just normal stressors in life, things that happen. A wedding can add a lot of stress. We had a lot of stress this weekend. You also have what are called, that's, those are horizontal stressors, just things that are a part of everyday life. You have vertical stressors that come in. They drop in out of nowhere, unexpected things that begin to blow up around you. I was working with a gentleman one day, and we were on his farm. I was riding in his Jeep, and he said, Tim, 
It's the vertical bombs that keep going off. I, I said, they keep dropping in on me and I don't know where they're coming from. And it's like my brain, my amygdala is on hyper alert all the time and I don't know what to do. And every time a bomb goes off, it makes me crazy because I don't feel like I got any sense of safety or any sense of control at all. And they come back. The antidote to trauma is relationship. Kids, think of it just very simple. And this is a very simple analogy. Kids aren't really afraid of the dark. They're afraid of being alone in the dark. When we go through deep waters, hell loves to get us alone, to let us believe that God is not there for us, that he's not our refuge and our strength, a present help during times of trouble. So then we get overwhelmed with fear instead of, therefore, we will not fear. Fear begins to grip our hearts. In sports, I do a lot of sports psychology work. Fear is one of the greatest enemies of athletic performance. We don't try to get rid of all of our fear, but fear, when it consumes you, makes you play small. It pulls your hands into your face. It drags your hands through the zone. And people are overwhelmed by the world that's going on around them. And when you begin to think about it, think about corporate trauma for a moment, when you're getting pounded, when everything changes. I don't know what you all experienced, but I know what we experienced here at the AACC. In March, our whole world got turned upside down. We had a young CEO, Ben Allison, who stepped in at that time. And he said, we're going to make a hard, fast pivot right now because we have to. And that was threatening to a lot of people inside the building. It was like, wait a second, where are we going? And that fear of the unknown becomes consuming. I know a, a gentleman right now who's struggling with a mass in one of his lungs. They told him they weren't sure that it's cancer. Matter of fact, they came back and said, no, it's not cancer. But then he's going through, well, what is it? Is it COVID related, et cetera? This fear of the unknown can be so consuming and it shuts you down. When your world gets turned upside down and everything changes, look how the church had to change and pivot in the middle of this. Look at the insanity of everything that's going on right now. That's what's making people crazy. And trauma isolates. Trauma separates. The antidote to trauma is to come back in and press together. You know, you're talking about the anecdotes for the fear, obviously. And I was thinking about, as you were speaking about, pulling down vain imaginations. There are realities in this horizontal area of traumas that we go through, everyday things. And we have to find outlets, at least for me, you know, I like to read or I like to go to the gym. I find intentional outlets, and when the stress comes on, in fact, my wife and I were talking about this not too long ago when there was external stressors that were on us, and I said, do not let those things control us. We need to make sure the Lord who gives us peace is in control of the situation. So let's not let the right. circumstances or the external stressors dictate to us our life. So we have to make sure as best as possible to keep a routine of consistency in time with the Lord, with each other, going to the gym, just put these other things aside because they're going to still be there. But we need an outlet for these stressors. And I think that everyone needs, and I pray you would believe that you would agree, we all need some sort of stress release. Because it says in, in Luke chapter 21 that there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven of heaven will be shaken. As you said, there are a lot of people who are afraid of the unknown. And it's hard when you've got so many things, these vertical things coming at you, you said, 
these attacks and traumas, and it begins to accumulate. And as you have, I'm sure, ministered to many, many people with PTSD, and I was a part of the, the PTSD Foundation of America for the military and ministered to a lot of those who are traumatized from PTSD. But at the same time, there is now this almost corporate PTSD or trauma that we're all living out. And I just sense we're going to see the outward form of that in greater measure if we don't look at some of those areas of release even now before we enter into this next season. Yes. So when you think of the big T trauma that people are going through, I'm with you 100%. You have this event or series of events that blows up your world. You lose your sense of safety and security. Think of it from a, through the eyes of a child for a moment, because in a lot of ways, we're, we're just big children. They need to know that they're not alone, first of all. So write down the word together. Together becomes really important. That's what I mean. The antidote to trauma is relationship. Write down together. Then put right beside that, touch. There's an element here where when we're going through, hey, we're the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Everybody knows where they were that day. That night, it was important to get home together because we felt what? Very threatened in that moment. And kids felt overwhelmed when they see these mass you know, shootings in schools or something else is going on, or their world's blowing up around them and these vertical bombs keep coming in. Touch becomes really important because it's also a sense of proximity to someone. Grace Ketterman years ago told me that kids need what, 9, 10, 11 touches a day. She said, Tim, I'm more of the mindset that they need 100 touches a day. They need to know that you're there for them. And there's power in that. That goes with that word together. You see that for a moment? And so when you have then triggers that it may be a siren going off or what have you, that reminds us of the trauma that we've been through, this togetherness and this touch piece in the world of a kid becomes important. Corporately, what's that look like? Get into some meetings, increase your level of communication through text or whatever. Make sure you're talking then a lot. So that's a third T, talk. Communication becomes very important that we're clear, that we're direct, and that we're doing this in a way that meaningfully helps them ratchet down the emotional insanity that's going on in their lives. That's what we do. And here's an important piece too. Be careful that you don't get over intoxicated with the stuff that's happening in the world around you. In other words, you were saying, hey, go to the gym, whatever. Turn the TV down or turn it off. Maybe you're watching Tucker too much. I don't know. But think about it. If you're getting overwhelmed constantly, I remember Julie saying this to me, Tim, when the pandemic first started. She said, I've got to turn this television off. It's making me absolutely crazy. Dr. Fauci, everybody coming on and pounding us every day. And it's like, we're afraid to touch every knob in our house. We're washing our hands a hundred times a day and we're inside the house, locked down. You see, we've got to control that emotional craziness that begins to ratchet up inside of us. And that brain piece that's going off. And we've learning through interpersonal neuroscience that there's a real connection between the mind, the brain and the body connection. Reading a book right now called The Body Keeps Score. It's all about trauma how your body gets overwhelmed with the insanity that's going on as you battle and wrestle in your mind and then how it influences your brain and right down to the DNA of your cells and more. You know, when people talk about, hey, my gut's telling me something, we're learning now that a lot of what you're thinking is expressing itself where? Here. There's so much amazing research is coming out. But in this journey, when you're talking, you better make sure here's a, here's a fourth T that it's anchored in truth because, hey, 
It's the truth ultimately in Christ that sets us free. But Paul said in Philippians 4.8, back up a few verses, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests or your concerns be made known to God. And when you do the peace of God, what? That surpasses all understanding will rule in your heart and life. Now, let me say something to you. You better get this belief piece right. You better, quote, understand that you have to lock in and pray earnestly. In other words, focus your heart and mind, but then start thinking on the things that are what? Pure and lovely and just of good report. Things that are true because it's the lies that we get lost in that begin to consume us and drive us wild. And we battle here in athleticism. The greatest battle, the higher you go in athletic competition, the more the skill gap closes. And the higher level, the higher level you are, the more everybody looks alike. What really separates them is whether or not they can control the six inches between their two ears. Can they manage their mind here? Years ago, Joyce Meyer wrote a book on the battlefield for the mind, a great piece of work. And through the years, William Backus and so many more have challenged us. Make sure you get this stuff right, right here. This is where we begin to slip and get crazy. And I'm telling you, one of the things that we're learning right now about men in particular who become suicidal, who get out of control in their lives, is that it's this piece up here where rumination, you got to write down that word rumination, where they begin to ruminate too much. In other words, that brain keeps going. It's what wakes them up at two and three and four in the morning. It's what consumes them at breakfast. It's what keeps them from just quote, calming themselves. They can't turn this thing off. And the rumination is a high indicator of this unbelievable, concerning, consuming peace towards suicidality. And as a therapist or someone who's trying to step into their heart and life, if they can't get that rumination piece under control, they're in real trouble. Mm -hmm. Dr. Clinton, that, that brings up a couple of great points, and I know we're limited on time. I want to just ask you a couple of things because you brought this up about men, but it, as a whole, in the last year and a half, more so than, you know, in a concentrated time than in 40 years of me being involved in what we're doing in ministry, I'm getting more calls from executives in the business world to pastors who are really going through, because of these stressors, feeling inadequate, feeling such a fog, they don't know how to get through it many wanting to quit, many going through thoughts, as you said, these vain imaginations and ruminating on things. It's amazing the increase at even one or two o'clock in the morning, I'm getting messages or emails and early in the morning, there are people just all day long ruminating and thinking I'm not qualified. I, I'm way beyond my pay grade or uh, what some would call imposter syndrome, where many are feeling like I've been doing this for so long, but I don't think if people really knew what I was feeling, what I was thinking, they wouldn't like me. And I'm think, thinking there's an increase of that going on now because of this corporate trauma. What would you say to those leaders and anyone who are going through this place of rumination, as you said, their spirit can't be calmed down. No matter how much they read scripture and say, peace, be still, or be still and know that I am God. Those are great. And we need the word to be rooted. But at the same time, there's a reality of these stressors that we're all going through. I made my way home one time. My dad uh, whom I mentioned earlier, was a rural country pastor, kindest man I've ever met. I love my dad. Got into a small study, couldn't have been any bigger than this table basically in front of me. I thought he was a giant of a man. He may not have preached to masses, but there was something about him that was unique. Uh, I picked up a book on his desk. It was an old Chuck Swindoll book. 
And inside that book, I noticed that dad had been going through it. And this one particular piece he had underlined, and I could tell that he had underlined it for himself. And here's what it said. You're not a nobody. And as I read that, and I'm by myself, and my dad's little study smelled of brute cologne and all that kind of stuff. I can still smell it. Tears came up into my eyes, and I thought, Dad, you have no idea. And I could tell he was just, just wrestling like we all do. I was uh, speaking at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina one time, and it was a missions conference. And they asked me to close the door with a group of missionaries and have a group session. Never forget this moment. I'm in there, back right-hand side, stated like where I always sit in the back on the right corner. Finally, as a part of this thing, this guy raises his hand. He said, Tim, I guess I'm trying to say something to you. And I said, what's that? He said, um, I guess I just want to know that what we do matters. And he said, listen, I've heard the audience of one stuff my whole life. I get all that. It just humanly speaking, when you're over there and you're knocking on the doors, trying to scratch it out, and you don't get much information, it's hard. When your kids are separated from you, it's hard. And I'm telling you what, the room got so, you ever, you ever felt like you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? I felt like I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it was like holy ground because I realized that everybody in that room had sacrificed at a level that I had never sacrificed at before. And that they were wrestling in their heart. And they needed encouragement. They needed strength. They needed an attaboy. We all still need that attaboy. So what would I say to those who are wrestling on a personal level? You're in a fight. Say that again. If you have any value to God, here's what I believe about you. All hell's going to come against you. You know why? Because he hates the work of God in you. Because you're in a fight, you can't come haphazardly to this life. You've got to go to a different place. You've got to realize that there's a calling here. And you better get that settled inside of your own heart. God, what do you want me to do? And if you're getting distracted, you're getting pulled off, and you're dabbling in stuff that you ought not be dabbling in, you know why? Because hell would love to take you out. He wants you out of the game. Go ahead, Tim. Hey, at least those people down at the bar, they, they love you for who you are. Go ahead. No problem. Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. What I'm saying is, listen, you're in a battle. And when you're in a battle and your enemy is there, and by the way, what's the old poker cartoon? We've also learned this. Great athletes, they don't play their competition. Their greatest battle is where? Right here. Great athletes focus on who they are and what they do. And they don't make excuses. They make adjustments is what they do. And in this thing, when you are in a battle, you're going to struggle with areas like, and I, I write this down with sports athletes uh, all the time. You're going to battle with expectation. What are the expectations that I should have in front of me? What are realistic? And what do I need to be accomplishing? What do I need to be checking off? What about my energy level? It affects how I come to the game. If you come to the game haphazardly, if you come to the game without energy and enthusiasm, I'm going to tell you what, if you're half afraid to step in the box because you think a guy's throwing a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and you can't get your hands through that zone quick enough to hit that ball, you're in trouble. It's those kind of pieces. At the end of the day, let me say this. All of it comes back, and I'm going to drive this home again and again and again. The antidote to trauma is relationship. Most guys who get lost, most leaders who get lost, most women who get lost, it's that they drift off into aloneness. Whether hell pushes them that way or whether they move in that direction, 
And let me say this, you're not that good. You're not that tough to survive all this because it's rough. That's why Moses needed Aaron and her to what? Hold his arms up and so he could prevail, so Joshua could prevail in the battle. We need each other more now than ever. We need God more now than ever. And this tendency to drift alone and isolate is a total path of destruction. Encouragement. I'll close this piece with this thought. I'm learning encouragement is such a beautiful gift. Encourage one another while you still have the time. It means to give courage to someone else. Philippians 4.9, those things you have both heard, learned, and seen in me, do them, and the peace of God will be with you. I got the doing peace right. The thing I missed through the years was this. Paul was saying, follow me. Be follows to me as I also am of Christ. Every Timothy needs a Paul. You need someone in your life. Leaders who get in trouble stop growing. They stop caring. They lose connection with people. They isolate. They become arrogant. They get lost. They lose their relationship piece. Listen to Paul late in life. Timothy, every Paul, by the way, needs a Timothy. Timothy, come and see me. It's profitable for you. Something you said there sparked this thought because I recently, in fact, when I was doing some additional training and just learning about law enforcement and how to get pastors involved and being there for these law enforcement deputies, they showed a video about Michael Jr., the comedian. It's called Know Your Ways. He asked somebody, sir, what do you do? And then he says, so why do you do what you do? And I think that was a great couple of questions because a lot of times we identify what we think people want to know by what we do, but the value of our worth is far more than what we do. It's why we do what we do and having that passion because God has given us that passion, like what you're doing in all these years that you knew that God was redirecting you, not even knowing for sure that what you were going to be doing fully, but you stepped into, like Abraham, took a step in faith, not knowing exactly where you're going, but you had a trajectory of where you were going. And I think that would be true for all of us that if I look back at the landmarks in my life, I look back and look at how God was faithful all along the way. And sometimes to know where I'm going, I just stop, reflect, and look back from where God has brought me from. And it helps me to get a perspective of why I do what I do. And it's not about me. As you said earlier, we tend to have introspection of, about me rather than why God called us and that there are many out there that need what we have because of Christ in us. So I know we have a question. I think you kind of answered this. One of our friends, business leader in Malaysia said, Dr. Clinton, is it possible to translate what we do in counseling individuals and small groups to something larger like counseling a nation? If possible, how do we do that? And I think you kind of address it a little bit. It all comes back down to the microcosm rather than looking at the big. And for me, I have to turn everything off too because I'm so overwhelmed with needs and people and, and what's happening on the news and around the world that, and although we're involved in those pieces, I have to sometimes pull away and just focus on me and God for that moment to give me a greater perspective. But you, you wrote one time and I quoted you on a portion of one of my books called Kids Who Care. And the book was on uh, In Search of a Father's Blessing where we talked to everyone including us adults or like little children, really, who need to come before the Lord as little children, that we're all still looking for affirmation, approval, and acceptance. But you said, in a nation that claims to be very dedicated to kids, shamefully, they are our most underserved population. And with the exception of those adults who really care about children, 
they have no advocate. I love the quote from Fran Stott, every child needs at least one person who is crazy about them. You know, and I was just thinking yesterday as I was getting our reports, daily reports from what's happening in, in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida and our teams that are on the ground feeding. And But one of the things we always do is realize that we can't just meet the physical need. We have to be there to meet spiritual and mental anguish and needs. And one of the things that are overlooked is children. So we actually do what we call somebody cares bears. So law enforcement to first responders, they love our bears because in the midst of a crisis, that simple little bear and we find that a lot of adults want them too. It's something they can hold on to. They can take a hug from that little bear or they're hugging that bear. It's a place of identity. And so would you just address the importance of in the midst of a corporate trauma, not to neglect the need to make sure that our children feel secure and know that in the midst of the stress that we're protecting them from that. Our most vulnerable group are our kids. You see a, a, a huge spike in mental health issues, especially over the last 18 months, even suicidality in our children. They're losing their way. And a lot of it has to do with the loss of connection with each other from not being able to go to school. Now the big debate about wearing masks in school and things like that. It's like, okay, we're protecting them physically. What's happening to them emotionally and more? I, I, I just think that the busy, preoccupied parent or influencer, teacher, youth pastor, misses many a cue and opportunity to be there and to speak into those moments when our kids need us the most. We need to be attuned, attuned to our children. They're different. Each one of them are different and they need us to respond to them differently. It's the same way. Thank God that he is attuned to you and me uniquely. He knows the struggle, the journey of our own personal everyday walk. Thank God he does. And I think here it is. Are you uh, tuned to me and to one another? We get lost corporately. We get lost in all this insanity that's going on around us because we lose sight of each other. When we press in and we can do that kind of work, it opens up our hearts to receive, and to accept influence. If they say now in marriage, probably the most significant indicator on whether or not you have a healthy relationship is this, a healthy marriage is whether or not you can accept influence from your spouse. Think about what I just said. When you don't feel safe with each other, you don't accept influence. Same thing in corporate America. When you don't feel safe, you typically don't receive influence well. Our kids, when they don't feel safe, they have a hard time receiving influence from us. Do you feel like you say that they're underserved, they're neglected at times like this, so it has to be an intentionality that and we need to be cognizant and intentional of making sure that they have, as you said earlier, being together, touch, talk, truth, but especially with children that they should get a lot of hugs from their parents or a sense of affirmation, probably more so than normal, especially when they're feeling the corporate tension. They may not understand what it is, may not have a language for it, but they're feeling it nonetheless. The antidote to trauma is relationship. They need us more, not less. Here's a big mistake on the parts of parents. We tend to believe that if we don't discuss these issues with our kids, that they won't wrestle with them. Nothing could be further from the truth. They're hearing it from everywhere, from their personal digital device to their friends at school, 
The problem is when we ignore it and don't talk to our kids and we don't press in with them, they have to journey and struggle with processing it on their own. And you know, they have limited information. They have to make huge mistakes. They start believing they're the problem when they're not. Our kids get lost. They get lost in this journey. You've given us a lot today. And, uh, you know, in the, there's so many of our chapter and affiliates and our friends that are part of our network of ministries that are consultants or chaplains to police departments like the Baltimore Police Department, the Minneapolis Police Department, Houston. We have a lot of chaplains and those are those that we're helping to coach or to come alongside between community partnership and the law enforcement in those areas. And that creates an in, increased tension, but we're finding where we're able to come and nurture and come alongside, uh, alleviate some of the external stresses and the internal conflicts that many of the even law enforcement is going through. And I think some of the things you shared today about these corporate challenges have been very helpful, getting back to relationship, making it human, making it the touch, the talk, the, the togetherness, the relationship, and, and keeping it about truth. I tell my daughter all the time and talk with my wife, we talk about we need to speak the truth in love, season it with grace, but speak the truth nonetheless. So the truth is what makes change. And so, so appreciate you being with us today. And I would like you to take a moment to share a little bit about your book that came out recently called Taking It Back and also about your, uh, your world conference that's coming up. Sure. Take It Back is a book on reclaiming biblical masculinity, the heart and strength of being a man. In a lot of ways, I think men have lost their voice. There's been such a beat down on men. Men are seen as buffoons, as disengaged dads, as terrible husbands, porn addicts, you name it. In a lot of ways, we've silenced men. Think about it. The narrative of modern day culture has to take men out. They don't want them to have that kind of influence in culture. And what they've done is they've gone from a place of uh, moving from behavior to masculinity is toxic. They now believe that masculinity on being a man is toxic. They are associating masculinity with toxic behavior. You can't do that. Every man knows that, yes, we've given up territory. There is such a thing as toxic behavior. Let's say sinful behavior. That doesn't mean masculinity is. And what I'm learning through the years, and I'll make this quick, Doug, is I'm seeing a stirring among men, especially young dads. They're wanting to step up into the plate and say, you know what? I want to change the course of what it means to be a man, to be a dad. And when you look at all the outcome-based research, we talk about a lot of it and take it back, reclaiming biblical masculinity. It's amazing how important and significant a man, a dad is in the life of children, life of his son, life of his daughter, and so much more. And when men begin to see that and they get challenged in it and encouraged in it, I'm telling you what, it's beginning to change the game. There's a stirring going on like I've never seen before. It's wild. Men are tired of being shut down. They're tired of being shut up. Uh, the truth is there's a lot of women out there who want their men to be strong. They want them to step up. They love their dads. They love their brothers. They love their spouses. They love their sons and more. And they want men to take their rightful place. Can you imagine what would happen if men would step back up and into this moment and take their rightful place? This is a word of honesty. This is a word of challenge. This is a word of encouragement to men to own this, this moment 
And God help us for such a time as this. Well, thank you. Well, share with us also about your amazing lineup you have at the World Conference for the American Association of Christian Counselors. And wow, I saw some of your lineup and I'm thinking, wow, I wish I could be there. I can't, but uh, I think people could actually follow up. And is there some online possibilities as well? Yeah, we do have a virtual option now. It's a limited virtual uh, option. We, we, because of this COVID Delta thing, we felt like we had to quickly uh, put together uh, um, an opportunity. But let me explain it real quick. The World Conference has sold out about eight times in a row now. We usually go to the Opryland Hotel in Nashville. We're at the Orlando Marriott World Center this year, September 15 through 18. Um, it's, it's an unbelievable event. Keynote speakers, everyone from Janet Parshall, Ben Carson, to John Bevere, to General Boykin, to Sammy Rodriguez, Daryl Strawberry, you name it. Just a lineup that's in, uh, just amazing. God's brought this group together. Then we have pre-conference workshops. Those are three-hour learning intensives. We have 50 of those. And then we have about 175 workshops across 25 different tracks, all focused on clinical excellence, biblical integrity, being solid theologically, and challenging us in this moment for the church to come alive and to develop mental health ministries in and through the local church and to help strengthen those who are on the front lines, whether they're chaplains or coaches or counselors or psychiatrists or what have you, to do the work of the Lord in a meaningfully excellent way so that God gets all the glory. It's fun. This is an event. Um, it'll, it'll represent all 50 states, over 40 countries from around the world. Uh, we're praying for big things. Pray for us because this is a challenging time. Uh, this is next week in orlando and so god be with us we're praying god will use it as a catalyst for such a time as this there is no doubt in my mind that over the next probably five to ten years that mental health will be one of if not the greatest challenge facing the church in corporate america and our and our world communities than any other issue and we need to own this hour and pray that god gives us the wisdom the foresight the direction and by the way the energy to accomplish what he thinks what I think he wants to do in and through the church for such a time as this. I have two prayer times in the morning. One of them is just thanking the Lord. I don't ask him for anything. But one of the things I thank him for is I said, Lord, I thank you that you are still the healer and you're my healer spiritually, yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, and relationally. And I want to just acknowledge all those things, who he is, regardless of my circumstance, if I could just keep focusing, King David was so brilliant at doing, laying out his frustrations, but then getting back to the focus that knowing who his deliverer and healer was. And, and I want to keep doing that in my own life as well. So thank you today, Dr. Clinton. I believe that there are some great principles here that will encourage people. Dr. Evan Lewis Cole, who was like a spiritual father to me, the founder of the Christian Men's Network that I still serve on the board of, he used to say, always start with the positive, tell the truth, go through it but always end in a positive. And I want to just say this today as Dr. Clinton was sharing about his book, Take It Back, in that, that God has called men, called all of us, because he is the God of the champion. And you'll remember in the scripture uh, where it says in Isaiah 9, 6, that the Lord himself is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That word also comes from the word El Gabor, the God of the champion, the God of the warrior, the God of the hero. And I just want you to be encouraged today that with Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the God of the champion who lives in you is more than able to do all that he's promised, to do all that he's intended for your life in and through you. 
and remembering that the antidote to fear that uh, we were talking about earlier that Dr. Clinton mentioned, I want to just leave you with this scripture out of Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In a Bible commentary, it says, fear is common to man, increased by, if it does not originate in, a consciousness of sin. The text indicates three reasons why the Christian should not be afraid. One is we know God's presence, that he is with us. He's powerful, wise, and loving. Two is relationship that Dr. Clinton kept driving home this whole podcast. Relationship. And that scripture says, I am your God. These words imply on our part, reverence, obedience, and submission. On his part, guardianship and blessing. And we naturally take special care of that which is our own. Dr. Evan Lewis Cole used to say that God has called us to help guide, guard, and govern. We have a stewardship responsibility. And I love what Luke 21, 13 says, in the midst of all the shakings, pandemics, and crises, and wars, and rumors of wars, and all these things, in Jesus' own words, he says in verse 13 of Luke 21, but it shall be an occasion for your testimony. This is our moment not to walk in fear, but to be a people of faith and let the light of Christ shine in us in such a way that others see the light of Christ and bring glory to the Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. And then remember God's promises. He has not forgotten you. He is with you. And uh, sometimes I have to hold on to those promises, even though I don't see them, that God is the God that keeps his promise. He gives us the promise of a promised land, but we have to go through a desert sometimes for us to find our way to get the world out of us, to be able to possess the land that God has promised us and walk in those blessings. So God bless everybody. Again, thank you, Dr. Clinton, for taking your time. Thank you so much for sharing some great principles that were able to encourage, I believe, all those that were on and those that will be listening and watching later. God bless. Head over now to a awordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.